listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN. Welcoming in our Mets guy who covers the Mets like nobody else. He is Rich Catino. Rich, how are you, my friend? Good, Larry. How are you doing tonight? I'm all right, thank you. When you hear Jeff Passan make that statement, Rich, what does that say to you? Well, there's so many levels to this thing and so many bi-levels and tri-levels to it. But um, I do think that, you know, both sides have a legitimate gripe in what they're doing. But I've heard rumblings that there are some owners that don't want to have a season. i got to be honest with you. My contacts have indicated that um, that's not really the case. I think they want to have a season, but they also want to make money. I think a lot of things have been said in owners' meetings. Um, I can safely tell you for sure, and this is a positive, that the Mets are not one of those teams that doesn't want a season. I know that's been speculated around because of the potential sale of the club. But I do think today made me feel less sure about everything, not more sure. Hmm. When you get a statement from major league baseball that we have the framework for a potential agreement. That's not something you send out publicly. That's something you go back to your owners and talk about. And when you have an agreement, you come out with the announcement of that. It's almost like they were trying to buy some time. Um, That was my feeling. Look, they want a 60 game season. The players want more. I think the players want closer to a 70 game season. I do think it's a positive that full prorated pay was at least talked about in this discussion between Tony Clark and, and the commissioner. Um, but I think they're probably going to, you know, listen, you know how much I negotiate TV deals and ad sales deals in my, in my other life, uh, Larry. If one party wants 60 games and the other party wants 70 games, can we just agree at 65 or 66 mm-hmm. games? And I think yeah. Michael Kay said it really well today, and as he says things well every – afternoon on his show the 66 number statistically makes the scheduling easy if you're going to keep the eastern teams in the east the west and the west and the central and the central he laid it out specifically so to me if you could come up with a 66 game proposal with full prorated pay and i think what's going to happen is if the owners don't come up with that i think the players are going to retort back and say well, how much is the universal DH worth to you? We know how much it's worth to us, an extra salary, but how much is it worth to you to, you know, make your team more watchable, especially in a postseason situation? So there's a lot of bells and whistles to this. I, when I first read it today, I was like, well, I guess that's good news. And then when I kind of looked at the statement a little further, I was like, I don't know, this is kind of almost surreal People negotiating don't come out before a deal is agreed publicly and say, I believe we have a framework of a possible deal. Mm-hmm. You're and, right. It is unusual. It is very it's unusual. it's not a proposal. If the players are going to say, we weren't given a proposal with this, it's a proposal. It's not a, a, It's not semblance of an agreement. I think Major League Baseball and Rob Manford need to understand, and maybe we all need to give them a Webster's Dictionary, they need to understand the difference between the words proposal and agreement. They're two distinctly different definitions, and I think what he was hoping is the public would kind of 
lay off Manfred and the owners a little bit, knowing this is the case. And they had a meeting with Tony Clark. But I think this thing is still far from being resolved. But I do think if we get Michael Kay in the room, what, what his, he said today with these two guys, I have a feeling we can get an agreement. I agree with you. So, Rich, let's talk about this Met draft. Um, there's a couple of players on here that, that I'm intrigued about. And, you know, they're both pitchers <laughs> for me. And, and, of course, the the Matthew Dyer, catcher out of, out of Arizona, the first thing I say is, oh, Duffy's grandson is right. <laughs> going to be with the Mets. But let's let's start at the top. Let's talk about Pete Crow Armstrong, who, from what all scouts talk about, Rich, uh, may need some work with the stick, but the glove is outstanding. The glove is beyond outstanding. And I think that, you know, the thing scouts have told me is that he gets the first step on the ball before the ball even hits the bat. And he studies hitters. Um, he's got speed, but he's got that first reaction off a line drive of foul ball, a fly ball. And I think outfielders will tell us, and, you know, you've heard this a number of times in your career, the toughest play is the, the ball hit right at you. Mm-hmm. And for an outfielder. And I think that for him, that looks like a can of corn when I watched film of him playing defensively. Hitting wise, he needs some coaching. I think he has trouble with the breaking pitch, which listen, a lot of a lot of youngsters that age have trouble with the breaking pitch. Um I was talking to a scout the other day that said, I know people don't wanna believe this, but Kellenick, the guy the Mets traded to the Mariners, has trouble with the breaking pitch. I know everyone already ha- already has him in Cooperstown, but he does have trouble with the breaking pitch, and it's something that most hitters that age do because they're not going to see a breaking pitch in the in the where they're playing that's going to even be remotely even in the in the single A and double A levels of Major League Baseball, minor league baseball. That's if we ever get minor league baseball back again. But mm. I think that you know he's definitely someone that is a, a high star, you know, guy that they picked up. And I think both him and Brendan Beatty, the guy they got last year who was a third baseman, I think that's going to be a lot of the offensive future of the Mets right now, those two players. And I'm told that they're, they're can't misses. And if this youngster they drafted, this center fielder they drafted, I asked the scout whom he reminds me him of, and then and the name Darren Erstad came to the forefront. And mm. Darren Erstad not only had a very, very good um, career, was a good, very good defensive player, but he had some big-time offensive years, too. So that's a good comparison if uh, Darren Erstad is what this young kid becomes. Rich Catino, our Met Beat reporter, is my guest. You're listening to ESPN New York tonight here on 98.7 ESPN. Rich, let's talk about the two pitchers. Let's talk about getting the right-hander out of Mississippi State and Orza out of the University of New Orleans. Both of them have tremendous stuff. Uh, one of them, you know, had the Tommy John issue, and obviously that's something the Mets are very familiar with, yeah. with what's going on in their organization. But I do think that, you know, again, for the second straight year, I think what Brody Van Wagen did in this draft, is he got players that normally would have been first-round picks. And they weren't first-round picks for one reason or another. Maybe they decided they were going to go to college. This kid had the Tommy John surgery. But the skill level is there, and if they hadn't had whatever issue got them out of the first round, they clearly would have been first-round picks. So once again, I think the Mets, you know, and listen, the Mets to pitching in their minor league organization with Penn State as the linebackers. They develop pitchers. And, 
you know, when you look at the history of the Mets, and, and I always said this when they opened City Field, I said, I know we have this big Met museum. They should have a whole wing just for pitchers because mm. there's so many in this organization that, you know, are already in the Hall of Fame, and this is an organization that's uh, a little over 50 years old. So I do think that, you know, they'll work with these pitchers, and, and, but I do think they're two solid picks. If I had to give the Met draft a grade overall for what they did, I'd have to give them no less than a B plus and probably an A minus for the second straight year. And think about that for a minute. This is Brody Van Wagenen's first foray into running a draft. And obviously he has a tremendous amount of advisors helping him. And I've gotten to know Brody pretty well over the last 24 months. And he's someone that doesn't give false listening to the people that are his advisors. He really does listen to him. He gets consensus in the room. And I think that that has helped him have for the second straight year, a really good draft, even though I don't think anyone in the media wants to give him credit for anything. Ritz, give me a quick overview on Green, Walters, and Dyer. Um, I think, you know, if I had to say, are they great prospects? No. Are they good prospects? Yes. Dyer's interesting. Um, I think anytime you have a guy in that position, it's an important defensive position. Um, I think I think he's a potential more of a power hitter than an average hitter. But, again, I've only seen film of him. I always hesitate to give a great indoctrination of a player until I've seen him live. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think that, you know, um, if I had to equate it to a boxer, he's got a, a really good puncher's chance of getting through the minor leagues and getting to the major leagues. But I do think that the the top two picks that the Mets got are really the most realistic ones to eventually get to the major leagues. Last thing, Rich, uh, more speculation every time you turn around about potential buyers of this franchise. Um, where are we with that? Is that just more of stuff in the media, more news in the media? And for me to take it seriously, Rich, I, I have not heard or read of any of these deals, including SNY. And I'm going to be honest with you. If I'm buying this team and I can't have SNY, I don't know that I'm making that deal. And that's the thing that sent the corn deal packing. Even more than control of the team, he wanted control of SNY. And the SNY control stayed with the Wilpons even longer than it did with the team. So – and I think anyone that's a smart businessman knows these regional sports networks have grown in their value. Um, just look what ESPN, our parent company, had to do with the Fox deal when they had to sell all the Fox Sports channels. They sent it to sell it, they sold it to Sinclair Broadcast for a tremendous amount of money, and, but I think it's the market rate. And I think the reason it's the market rate is these regional sport networks are now going to have three streams of revenue. They're going to have their linear channel where they bring in advertising and all kinds of stuff. They're going to have streaming rights, which is is revenue stream number two. And then there's this whole sports gambling thing that's kind of out there as the potential third revenue source. I think eventually fans will be able to bet sitting at City Field or Madison Square Garden during the game on whether the next pitch will be a strike or a ball. And don't tell me that in some way that isn't going to be sponsored and come back to the teams that, you know, own the regional sports network. So, I think all of that contributes to it. I don't think anyone's going to buy this team that doesn't get control of SNY. And I think it's, 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 it's the right way to go. I also think that, you know, what Cohen's bid did is it actually brought the price of the Mets up skywards. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't think 
a year ago, people thought the price of the Mets, they really didn't know what the S and Y portion was. But now that they know what it is, and they now that they kind of had an idea what Steve Cohen bid, I think it's going to bring the price of the team skyward. I do think that if a, if someone buys this team, it's very impossible for me to believe it's going to be one individual. I think it's going to have to be a consortium. I think it's going to have to be a group of people because I, I think in the world we live in, especially now, people are getting back into the real world and the economy, and they're trying to reclaim the six months that they lost with COVID. So I think this could push it into next year, but I do think that the New York Mets, when you look at them as you know what they're worth, they're worth probably, I would say, one of the top five amounts of franchises in baseball today. I don't think they're any less than that, and I think when you throw S and Y on top of it, it's a big amount of money. I don't see anything happening quickly. I know Jeff Wilpon has been having meetings with people. We don't know who those people are because, for once, the Mets have been you know sealing up all the leaks in their organization of stuff getting out. But I do think that they're talking to people. But I also think that they they're not just going to sell to the first seller. I think supply and demand is in this marketplace. And the other thing to remember with this, this is real important, Larry, is when this COVID's all done and baseball's back, the Mets might not be the only team that's going to sell their franchise. Some franchises may say, look, we lost a lot of money this year. We've been in this for a while. Maybe we'll sell it. And that's going to affect the amount of suitors, and it's going to affect the price as well. So that's something to watch for as well. I think when we talk at this time next year, I don't know if the Mets will be sold But I will tell you this, I think there'll be a number of Major League Baseball franchises that are on the open marketplace and they're trying to get a value for them. And I think that can make the process harder for the Mets if they're trying to sell the team and then three, four other teams are trying to sell their team and and people are looking for the best deal. So it's something to watch, but I don't find it being imminent. And, um, you know, Alex Rodriguez and and J-Lo apparently are trying to kind of reclaim, you know, a bigger pie so they can bring it to the Mets. I don't know where that's headed, but I do know one thing. It'll be very interesting to see Alex Rodriguez and J-Lo in the ballpark every night when we cover a game. That could be beyond interesting. I just hope, Rich, that we'll have baseball next year because you and I have spoken and you've got some concerns about that. We'll we'll talk about that another time. Thanks for checking in, my friend. Stay well, my friend. All the best, Larry. You too. Rich Catino, baseball uh, coverage for ESPN. 98.7 98.7 FM, and he does a great job covering the Mets for us. You're listening to the ESPN New York Tonight podcast with Larry Hardesty on 98.7 ESPN.